Some say he's a technical whiz. Some say he was born in Cornwall. Well, some say he's on a journey. It's the journey. And here's your host, David Hackett. Hi everyone, welcome to another journey, and this journey is taking us to a mystic, author, teacher, and former founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar consumer products company. He shares intimate and personal stories and teaches workshops on leadership, healing, transformation, awakening, love, synchronicity, and wisdom that unites and expands the human experience. He now lives in a Richmond Washington and he is John David and I hope I get this right latter you nailed it perfect David <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the journey um, uh, thank you very much David I appreciate the uh, invitation to be here no worries and as I said before we started recording it's not about my journey because my journey is long expanding and I could talk about my experiences all day long but this is about your journey so, and I will chip in if need be. So, okay. where did your journey begin? Well, um, the journey that I chronicled in my book, The Synchronicity of Love, began about 20 years ago uh, when everything that could go wrong all went wrong at the same time in my life. Uh, <laughs> began a period of long transformation. So, I um, I was married with two children and... Um, uh, my wife got cancer. It came completely out of left field and um, she was healthy, took good care of herself. And we were really surprised to find out she had cancer. And very quickly, they took out her entire thyroid gland and uh, including a bunch of lymph nodes. And she began to change after that. Uh, she started reading books about God and the meaning of life and started reevaluating her own life and went very quiet, and very inward. And I don't think I was a good person at that stage of my life to support her because I had a sort of rigid, rational view of life. I didn't pray. I didn't go to church. I wasn't a spiritual person in any way. So I didn't know how to support her through all that. In the middle of it all, I had left my very secure job and started my own company. And in a short period of time, had lost all of our money, including uh, to the tune of $650,000. We were in debt, uh, $250,000 in personal credit card debt, uh, borrowed against the house, borrowed money from the banks, and there wasn't any sign I was going to get out of that debt. Um, and every day we were one step, one hair's breadth away from going bankrupt. And then in the middle of it all, also, uh, I don't know why I suddenly had this terrible fear of death. And I, again, having not really been to church uh, other than when I was really young and not considering myself a spiritual person anyway, I didn't know what to make of death. I just, all I could envision was when the body dies, that's it, it's over. And I couldn't wrap my mind around what felt like oblivion or forever. And it was terrifying to me. And then in the middle of all that, my wife decides she wants a whole new life and leaves and says, you take the kids, you're the better parent, see you later, goodbye. And so now I've got two kids 
uh, ages nine and 11, custody of them, uh, a company that's every day, one day away from bankruptcy. And I'm in unbelievable fear and anxiety about how the heck we're going to start all over from zero. And, and then running around behind closed doors, terrified of death and afraid to talk to anybody about it. And so weirdly that began my journey. And then um, I had been a fan of Michael Crichton, the author mm. who had written a bunch of best-selling books. And a lot of people don't know, he wrote a, um, an autobiography called Travels, a nonfiction book. And he also went through a difficult period of time in his life. And he, like me, highly rational, highly logical, um, didn't believe in spirituality or religion, but he went through a shift where he decided to explore all the things that he didn't truly know anything about. He wanted to go experience it for himself. And he went to a spiritual retreat and I loved reading his story about his experiences there. And so having felt like I was suddenly a bad husband, a bad dad, a bad businessman, and a grown man terrified of death, I signed up for the same spiritual retreat <laughs> Michael Crichton went to 20 years earlier. I couldn't believe the guy was still teaching almost the identical same retreat. And <clears throat> when I got there, um, almost immediately after I signed up, a lot of strange synchronicity started to happen in my life. A lot of little miracles, a lot of little coincidences. And it began with um, I was very nervous about going because I, it was for me, it was like a, a Nazi skinhead deciding he was going to move in with his black neighbors across the street. It was that difficult for me hmm. to go to this retreat. And I was really afraid the teacher was going to be some crazy guru guy or something. But as the plane is touching down, I look over and the woman next to me is reading his book. <laughs> and I'm like, are you going to the same spiritual retreat that I am? Yeah, I am. I'm really nervous. Are you going? Yeah, I am. I'm nervous too. Well, you look normal. Well, you look normal too. Okay. Well, maybe this is going to be okay. And 180 people on the plane, the only two people going to this retreat, me and her, what are the chances we get seated <laughs> side by side? What are the chances at the moment that plane is touching down, she's reading his book? Because I never would have talked to her otherwise. And so um, that began my journey. And uh, just jump in here, David, if you have questions mm. along the way, but um, everything began to change then. Um, I also started, I, I started a, a therapy process and the therapist put me in with a group. I'd never been to a therapy process before counseling. I'd never been in a group before. And in the blink of an eye, for the most part, I was the only man with 10 women and two women therapists. And I felt like a man alone <laughs> in therapy. Well, I, you laugh, but it's true. It was in some ways it was terrifying to me. And so you was the outcast of the group compared. <laughs> I very much felt that way. Yeah. And <clears throat> about that same time, um, the teacher I went to the retreat asked us to start paying attention to our dreams and recording our dreams. And I started to have a lot of different kinds of dreams. At first, they didn't make sense because the dreams were almost always speaking to me through symbols. And I didn't really understand how to read the language of my dreams. But um, just to show you an example of some how the dreams were coming through, right about the time I was starting that group therapy, I had a dream where all the women in my group were gathered together and they're talking and they said, you know, we're getting, we're going to get together and peel shrimp, uh, but we're worried about John. And in the dream, I say, well, why is, why is that a problem? I love shrimp. And they said, well, you know, peeling shrimp can be kind of painful and kind of messy. And so the analogy there that made sense later was 
being in therapy is like being a shrimp, having your shell peeled off. Mm. <laughs> and it was difficult for me. And, um, and so about, um, so I started having a lot of dreams and they started to become very informative and very helpful. And then about two years after that spiritual retreat, I had the opportunity because I, I had my company and, um, and it was while the sales were good, the losses were horrible, but I was able to stop the bleeding. And for about two years, every day was had just enough to stay in business, just enough to keep my head above water. So you had that amount like five percent, ten percent, just to keep afloat. Yeah, yeah. It just it didn't get better, but it didn't get worse either. And it was just enough to get by. Well, so I had a consumer products company and I had the opportunity to appear on QVC, the home shopping network, which I'd never done before. And I was excited, but I was also nervous because they said uh, they get 700,000 new viewers every minute. Mm -hmm. And so I'd never been on live TV before. <laughs> so I go on and um, I sold a fair amount of product. It wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. And went back to my hotel room in Philadelphia and I couldn't sleep that night. I felt all this joy in my body. And um, maybe about midnight, I had the strangest experience. I had what felt like this giant orgasm in my perineum area, you know, my root chakra, they call it. And in this beautiful energy just poof, filled my whole body. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell was that? And, and so, and every few minutes it would happen again and again, and again. And half of me was terrified, like, what the hell is going on? But yeah. the other part of me is like, well, I don't know what this is, but it feels better than any drug. Like, <laughs> this is amazing. And so it went on for a few hours. I had no idea what was happening to me. Um, I think I slept for all of two hours that night, had to hop a plane home the next morning for Seattle. And on my way home, I asked some people like, you know, what is, you know, that might know, like, what do you think is happening? And they said, well, it sounds like Kundalini energy. You should look it up. So I looked it up and I went, oh yeah, that does kind of sound like what's happening to me. And what started to happen from that day forward is about every second or third day, what I would call the energy would show up at nighttime. And I, I learned that this Kundalini energy goes by many names and many cultures throughout time. And I think Christians just call it the movement of the Holy spirit, Yeah, but it's felt like energy in the body. It feels, feels like there's a lot of things going on that aren't, don't have anything to do with health or, you know, physical health or anything like that. There's something going on and it's beyond my volitional control. And every second or third night, I would have this beautiful energy and these amazing visions. Like I couldn't wait uh, for the energy to come, but it would come all night long. If I let it, sometimes I had to tell it to go away. Cause I was tired. I just sit, sleep. I'm you know, still running this business. that's hanging by a thread. I've got, you know, custody of my two kids. I need my sleep. And so it would disappear for a night or two. And then when I feel rested and better, it would come back again. And this went on for months and months. It actually went on for years, but it was probably most intense the first six months. And what I learned about uh, Kundalini energy, usually it's described as feminine energy, goddess energy, earth energy, sexual energy, primal energy. And its goal is to rise up and purify the body, purify what they call the chakras in the individual. And um, in my experience of it was 
that the energy was intense. It was painful. It was sometimes beautiful and blissful. My dreams were full of women and goddesses. And, um, and so without knowing it at the time, I think up to that point in my life, I lived a very one-sided life, a sort of competitive, hardworking, rational guy and an entire other side of me that I would call my feminine side and, or my spiritual side was awakening in me, but I didn't know it at the time. It just was always shocking and unbelievable what it felt like was happening. And so um, it sounds sort of cliche. My wife and I joke that my book could have been called Rigid Rational Male Transforms into <laughs> the Random Accidental Mystic, but that's exactly what happened. You might say hyper-competitive male turned into more loving, better listening, better compassionate, uh, so, more compassionate. So know. so it reawakened you for the better. It, did, it turned your personality, would you say? for the better it absolutely did uh absolutely better and i think the best way i could describe it is uh wholeness it's i was very one-sided i just didn't know it and now i'm much more balanced i'm much more whole and but i didn't know i was going through that at the time and i definitely would describe it as better because you know in every situation in life sometimes there's a time to do something and there's sometimes you just let it go there's a time to speak and a time to listen and i had been good at one but not the other and mm. so that was the transformation that was the journey that was taking place in me is into wholeness which um scared me in a lot of ways but looking back it actually makes you uh, more resourceful in every single situation. There's like, okay, I know what I can do in this situation. Does so that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So it's less thinking quickly and taking your time in thinking, I assume. So, yeah. in, so in, as I always describe it, you know, you don't just jump in. You learn to take it step by step now instead of just thinking, it's a jumping diving board i'm jumping straight in you're taking your time diving in right that's exactly right and i think i have a story in my book about um tucking my kids in, in bed and so you know the experience had been in management i've been managing people ever since i was 18 years of age and it was sort of almost military like you know and i was really good at planning and strategy and getting things done on time and um, so one night I'm tucking my kids in bed and my son is happily babbling away about his day and I want him to be quiet so I can turn off his light because I have things to do. Right. And I remember all the women in my group therapy saying, John, you're so good at doing, you should try being. And I'm like, what is being? I have no idea what that even means. So I just sat there. I said, well, maybe it means like just listening. So I just sat there and just really listened closely uh, to my son talking about his day. And then David, I was suddenly overwhelmed with this incredible feeling of love. Like I'd never felt in my life before. And so it taught me to slow down. It taught me to just uh, be, it taught me to listen. And I definitely went back to that group therapy going, wow, maybe these women know something that I don't know. <laughs> well, they always do say, and I'm not being in any way derogative when I say this, women always know what's best. 
Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> they, yeah. they rule the roost. They like to be in control, and they just like us to bring the money in, as I always would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, so taking your time and understanding what was being presented to you, did that make it more challenging for you, or did it make it more easier for you? Well, I think um, it was very challenging every step of the way because I didn't really know what was happening to me. It's only now looking backwards that I can say, oh, okay, now I can see what was going on. So reflection, you reflect back and you can say. Yeah. Yeah, There's a beautiful speech that Steve Jobs from Apple did, the commencement speech at Stanford. You can look it up online. Yeah, and I I have that. That's an amazing speech. I like Steve Jobs and... I remember that one. It's like, wow. Yeah. Well, you remember in that commencement speech, he talked about taking a class in calligraphy and then who the heck ever thought calligraphy could help him in the business world. He just did it because he liked the artistry of it. But later when they were developing the Apple Macintosh computer, he thought, well, let's try um, giving people a choice of many different fonts to choose from when they're writing. And that was the one thing that put the Apple on the map that made it better and different from the PC, all from that calligraphy class. And so I do like to tell people, you know, it's sort of cliche um, to follow your desires, to follow your bliss, you know, go where it feels like you need to go and your deepest desires want to take you because you never know later how, you know, that very thing you decided to do is incredibly beneficial later in life. And that's exactly what Steve Jobs was trying to preach in that commencement speech. And he did it so well. And like I said, I've watched it several times on YouTube. And it's just, you know, the poignant part of, you know, you hear of his keynotes when he used to do presentations, but this defined Steve Jobs as a whole, which made them strong for people understood him, if that makes sense. It was like the defining moment to say, this is me. You know, you heard about him saying, you know, about his products, but that's not him yes it was it's brain thinking but it wasn't him for him it wasn't a war steve jobs it wasn't the steve jobs people wanted to hear they wanted to know and this was the way to inspire people and it still does i believe inspires people for now yeah yeah i totally agree i think you know um i i always want to encourage people to pay attention to their desires and to pay attention to their intuition um and i think that's a hard thing for people to do nowadays intuition because it requires sometimes being a little bit quiet and the world is so noisy in so many ways there's so many ways to distract yourself i was just talking to a woman yesterday she was telling me i just thought it was the best story She goes, you know, I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I went up to a cabin in Penticton and um, in the freezer there was some frozen dog food. And as I was getting ready to leave the cabin, I was going from there to go visit a friend of mine in another cabin. Uh, My intuitive voice said, take the dog food with you. And she's like, what? You know, okay. So she took the frozen dog food with her, drove to another cabin, met her friend, her friend arrived with her dog and she was so happy to be there, but so distraught because she forgot her dog food. (laughs) (laughs) And so there was, there was the, it didn't make any sense at the time, you know, why this first woman should bring the dog food with her, but it made perfect sense when she caught up with her friend who forgot to bring the dog. 
So yeah, I, I try to tell people all the time, pay attention to your desires, pay attention to your intuition. So where do you see, uh, you spoke about your past and now we're talking about the present. How do you mm-hmm. see things are presently in the current, well, overcoming the current pandemic that happened? How do you see things progressing for yourself now? Well, that's been interesting. So I got really lucky. I owned a fairly large company and I um, probably back in 2017, I could feel this little nagging voice inside me that said, I'm done with my company. Uh, I was bored. I didn't want to do it anymore. There was a lot of logistical issues. I just didn't have the same zest or enthusiasm for it anymore. So um, I prepared the company for sale and sold the company in 2019, three months before the pandemic hit. And boy, talk about a few times. I just want to get down and kiss the ground a few times because, um, you know, there was a lot of logistical issues and headaches afterwards with supply chain issues. And the owner who bought my company said that they had been in business for 65 years. And the last two or three years has been the most difficult in their entire company history. So um, I've been in sort of semi-retirement, you might say, for the last uh, two or three years. And so, um, and I'm in the Seattle area, which more than a lot of areas was almost on, I would call extreme lockdown. And a lot of people have been very reluctant to get out, even now with the vaccines, get back out in public again. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to say, I think next year, things are going to start returning to normal. I thought it was going to be this year, but I still have friends that are still reluctant to get out. They're cautious. And so it's been a very quiet time. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, but, you, you are. So, yeah, would you say, been, so would you say 2022, even though you wanted to move on, would you still say it's a period of reflection? Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Uh, 2020 and 2021 were a period of reflection. I thought 2022, everybody's going to get back to normal again. I think that might be next year. So 2022 was probably still a year of reflection. And a lot of people, like I said, that I know are like, you know, I'm just going to stay home, not going to mix with the public. So Because obviously the pandemic hit us and, you know, two years, people were obviously following guidelines, which was provided, which is understandable. And obviously now 22 is nearly at the end. You would say people are getting back into the idea and getting used to the idea of going. So is that reflection of understanding that they want to say, okay, I've took my time. I've understood what's happened. This has happened. Now to move on. So yeah. I would so I would assume it's about that initial two year period where it was everyone was afraid. Time for yourself for the third year. By time well, next year is the third year, but the end of the year, into the third year, you can say moving on, we've had it and then talk about what's to come. Yeah, and I think um the curious thing will be to find out. Um how many people do return back to normal? Uh, some people, you know, a lot more people working from home today. Maybe that never changes. Uh, a lot more people had time to reflect, quiet time. Maybe that doesn't change either. Maybe people decide they like that. So it's hard to really know where we're going to go in the next year or two. And I want to acknowledge that some people during the pandemic, especially if you were in retail, uh, 
uh, you know, you probably worked long hours and there probably wasn't a lot of time ref for reflection. There's a lot of businesses out there that are running just a little short on help. And the ones that are working, boy, if you're in healthcare, you probably didn't have any time to rest to reflect. Those people were working, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it was definitely a change, huge, turbulent period of time um, the last few years. And so I think we'll have to just wait and see what comes of it. I want to say the healthcare workers hopefully get a break and everybody else gets to decide if they want to jump back into the <laughs> craziness or not. <laughs> yeah, I understand that totally. So we're now slipping into the future. So I will discuss okay. the future. Yeah. We like to know that there is good times coming, mm -hmm. both spiritually, emotionally, whichever way you want to label it. But do you think the good times are definitely coming back or do you think there will be that, like we were saying previous, do you think the uncertainty will still be fair? I, okay. So here's my very expert prediction, David. <laughs> I see the world getting better and worse at the same time. And so I think a lot of things are going to get better. A lot of things, you know, are going to improve. And I think, if you look behind the scenes, it doesn't really make headlines. There's so many things in the world that are getting better. We just don't realize it. We don't see it in the headlines because it doesn't make news. And, um, and so I think behind the scenes, I think a lot of the world is getting to be better. But front and center in the news, oh, my gosh, there's still so much tension around politics and, and uh, so much discord there. Um, and I I don't think that that's going to change overnight. So yeah. I, there's my answer is I think some things are going to get worse and I think some things are going to get better. Yeah. And I do understand that things will be difficult because wherever you live, there is political discord wherever you yeah. look. And I hope it gets better because, of, you know, I got to give a very neutral answer in this, but I just hope it's a way forward that everyone will come to an agreement and say, okay this is what we want and everyone's happy but i honestly yeah. can't but i honestly in my own opinion i can't see it happening anytime soon yeah growing, i agree with you <laughs> growing up i saw there was political discord i saw there's a lot of unrest you know and i'm not discounting yeah. that you know i've been watching the media i've been part of the media so it's about Will there, won't there? And I don't honestly don't think there will be a happy medium at all. And yeah, it's a, and I, it's a, and it's a shame. Unless what? And I say it's a big shame that no one could come to the happy medium. Yeah, because that's what you know. Hindsight, you could say, yeah, we could do it. <laughs> but yeah. this is but this in hindsight. This is what personal opinions are and you've just got to keep it as a personal opinion because if you know you or me is just one little percentage we're not the bigger picture yeah and that's what i think damages because if we was given the choice to voice our opinion maybe something could be done yeah. <laughs> but sadly as you know we can't <laughs> so <laughs> To this, this question I always ask people, what would you want to see from the future, apart from political stability, 
happiness, everything to be as we would want it to be, right? Rosie, how would you want it to be for the future for you? Well, um, I think what I what I'm excited about and what I like to share and teach to others and what I would like other people to embrace is is to always allow yourself to grow and change. I mean, that is the journey. And, um, and I think it's easy to get stuck in how you see things and how you perceive things. And I, I always want to encourage people. There's a saying I love, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so what I would like to see in the future is a bit more open-mindedness, a bit more open heart, a bit more willing to say, okay, I see things this way, but I'm willing to see it another way, or at least consider another way. And I think um, the whole world grows that way. I think the whole world becomes more compassionate towards each other that way. Uh, I like to describe sometimes it feels like we build brick walls around ourselves, um, And then we put our, and we built almost a prison around ourselves where we think we know everything. And I want to encourage people, it's okay to start taking apart those brick walls. And um, that's where I would like to see myself go. That's where I'd like to see the world go. Just because we've always done things the same way doesn't mean we can't change and do them differently. Okay. And so if people want to find out more about you, I've given your little bio, but you said okay. about book and about your books. Is there any way people can find out more about you? Yeah. So my website is John David Latta. My last name is spelled L-A-T-T-A, johndavidlatta.com. And my book is called The Synchronicity of Love. Stories that heal, transform, and awaken. It's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and I just found out yesterday uh, Target and Walmart as well. Okay. Anything else you would want to say to people before we conclude this interview? Uh, I think I'd add on to what I said before. Like, um, you know, I like to tell the story of. If you were three years old and attacked by a big black dog, you might go through the rest of your life terrified of big black dogs and think that all big black dogs are evil and that they bite and that they're mean. And this is what I'm talking about. It's okay as we mature later in life to sort of question those beliefs and like look around and go, you know, it might've just been one big black dog that was mean. The one I bumped into when I was three years old, they're not all big and mean, there might be a few. And so again, uh, begin that process of, uh, I would call it questioning your thoughts, questioning your beliefs, question your identity, and allow that identity and your belief system to grow and change and evolve. John, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate the invitation. That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging, hosted by David Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon.